didn't one of our deacons shovel the snow off the sidewalk? Now, in retrospect, as I've become to, know, to, to understand more about the role of a deacon, basically what happened was uh, all those deacons got thrown under the bus for a job that wasn't their responsibility any more than it was my responsibility in the first place. But all in the names of, all in the name of, why is the sidewalk not being swept? And it just got me to thinking that probably there's a lot of conflict in the church that comes from our lack of understanding, or maybe our, our assumptions about what the roles of leaders are in the church. And if we had a better understanding of those things, then we could function better and more effectively as a body. So tonight, we're going to talk about the role of an elder Next Sunday night, we're going to talk about what the New Testament says about deacons in the church. In three weeks, we're going to talk about what the New Testament says about preachers in the church. Now, I promise you, a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about all three of those positions and what they ought to be. Uh, some of those have been expressed to me. Some of those have been expressed by me. I have thoughts about those things, uh, j- just, just like you do. But I want us to come back and say, so what, what does the Bible say about these things? Well, well to understand that, to, that, that the idea of there being elders or of older men in the church who provide spiritual leadership for the church, that, that didn't actually begin in the New Testament. Matter of fact, all throughout the Bible, we see, we see instances of, of, the, of the people having elders of some shape, form, or fashion. Now, of course, there have always been older men, uh, but sometimes, sometimes that title of an older man or a wiser individual is used in some sort of official capacity, where, where you can tell from the context that what we're talking about are not just all the men in general or not just all the older men in general, but you're talking about people who have been set aside for a very specific purpose from, from all the others, given authority in, in that role and given responsibility in that role. Maybe the first place that we run into elders in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 3, uh, when God is speaking to Moses. You remember the Egyptians or the Israelites are, are, are under Egyptian bondage? And God tells Moses in Exodus 3 and verse 17, Go and gather the elders of Israel together. And you say to them, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me. It's not too much longer when they find themselves before Mount Sinai, and they're about to receive the law for the very first time, right? Remember the Ten Commandments are in Exodus 20. Well, in Exodus 19, in Exodus 19, Moses, 19 and verse 7, the Bible says, So Moses came, and he called for the elders of the people. And laid before them all these words which the Lord had commanded him. Now in the text, we don't have any, I don't know anything about the qualifications or how these people were chosen. I don't know anything about that. But you do seem, you, you do seem to have this reference to this very defined group of people that are going to be the leaders of the, of, of, of the nation, right? It wasn't just Moses assimilating the word of God to everyone. This message was going to be assimilated through a process. Through Moses, from the elders to the people. Um, In Exodus 24, in verse 1, the Bible says that he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, the seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. So there's this, basically, those who are going to be leading them. He talks about Moses, he talks about the priesthood, he talks about these seventy elders. 
in Deuteronomy chapter 27. In Deuteronomy chapter 27 in verse 1, uh, this, you remember this is the second giving of the law before they were to go into the promised land. The Bible says, Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. They would have some role in helping the people to keep the commandments of God. Later on in, uh, in Joshua 23 in verse 2, uh, we've gone, Moses has, has passed on, Joshua is about to pass on. The text says that Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers. And he said to them, basically, you can read it, you need to lead the people. So we, we could continue on. There are some good examples and bad examples. Um, many times, even unfortunately, in the history of Israel, um, it's the elders who are not fulfilling what God has intended for them to be. Uh, they're not being those spiritual guides or those spiritual shepherds that God intends for them to be. And, and that leads to the detriment of God's people. Um, we honestly could go on for about another half hour or so just kind of walking through that. You, you can Google it. Uh, or, or use a concordance or something if you want to do that yourself. But in the New Testament, in the New Testament, what we see uh, when it comes to church leadership, of course, we see autonomous congregations. Uh, the idea of church hierarchy just really doesn't exist, right? The, the, there, there's, no, the, there's no body larger than, than, the, than the congregational level. Um, even though there is a fellowship and there is a brotherhood, uh, each congregation is autonomous. Uh, the church at Corinth didn't tell the church at Antioch what to, what to do. And, they, and the church at Antioch didn't tell the church at Galatia what to do. Each of those congregations, bodies that belong to Christ, they, 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 had, they, had, they were responsible for, for themselves. And so what we see within those is that within those congregations, we always see this plurality of men. Not a single man, not a single pastor system, but we always see a plurality of men who have spiritual oversight of those, of those congregations. A plurality of men that have responsibility for shepherding the flock of God for, for, for the souls of the local congregation. Once again, once again, that idea of an older individual or a presbyteros, Right, an older man sometimes can be very general, but sometimes it's pretty obvious that you're dealing with an office. You're dealing with a position of authority, of responsibility, uh, something that not everyone has. Uh, maybe the easiest place to see that is in places like First Timothy, uh, in First Timothy chapter three or Titus chapter one, where you have the qualifications uh, for for someone in this role. Not just anyone can serve in this role. Um, for the most part, interestingly enough, uh, these qualifications don't describe a super Christian, they don't describe a superman, but they do describe a mature spiritual man. Um, outside of just a few, they are things that almost all mature Christian men ought to be not only aspiring to, but ought to be even responsible for being in, in their lives. Doesn't mean everybody's going to be an elder, not everybody should be an elder. But if we look at that list of, of, what mature, of what mature manhood looks like, 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1 are a pretty good place to go. The first place that we see this in the New Testament, I think, is in Acts chapter 11. Uh, there in, in Acts chapter 11 and verse 29, uh, we, we're reading about this collection that's being taken up for the brethren in Judea. 
The text says the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dealing in Judea. And this they also did. And they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so you would, you, you would see that this group of men seems to have some sort of responsibility for making sure, for, for making sure that uh, monies are taken in in a decent and an orderly way, that abuse doesn't go on there. Because you remember abuse went on in the first century just like it goes on in the 21st century. Uh, there, there are people who have responsibilities. And so obviously when we talk about the work of the church, uh, th- th- there are going to be things that are going to cost money. And that, those collection is going to, be, going to be taken up even on the first day of the week. We're going to see that throughout the New Testament. Who's going to be responsible for that? Well, here when they send, when, when, when they send that, the text says they sent it to the elders. They selected Barnabas. They selected Saul, people they could trust, people they could depend upon to, to get it there. But they didn't just go there and give it to just anybody. Um, if somebody has a if somebody has, a, a, let's say, a, a monies that they want to give uh, to help with the Bible School of the Americas and, and the great work that's going on in Latin America, and they come to our services, uh, they, they don't just go up to the very first person that, that, that they find and say, hey, here's $10,000. Make sure that gets the right place. I wouldn't advise it, okay, because you, you don't know who that person is. There are these people who have this responsibility, and so that seems to be something that the elders, uh, that that plurality of men did in leading those congregations. You might find it interesting, you might find it interesting that in the New Testament church, um, once once we come into the age where the apostles have passed away, that, that there really is no there really is no earthly authority higher than that of the elders of the church. Uh, the idea of um, a great church hierarchy um, of, um, for example, in the Catholic Church where we talk about uh, the Pope or cardinals in, in, in some places where they talk about archbishops or bishops or things of that nature just doesn't exist in the New Testament. What you do see are local congregations with groups of uh, spiritual men who have responsibility for the souls of that congregation. You might be interested to learn. I told you this before, I think, but maybe, maybe I haven't. Um, one thing that I found shocking when I was uh, working on my doctorate in the, in, the, in the Baptist seminary, you know, Baptist churches traditionally have, have, have been led by a pastoral system, uh, really where one man is, has, has the spiritual account of the congregation. Um, but when I was in seminary, what I found was that there's a great movement amongst, amongst many Baptist churches for elderships, for groups of spiritual men to have spiritual oversight of the congregation. The guys that I was in school with, when you asked them, do you have elders in your congregation, either they all said that they did or they were embarrassed to tell me that they didn't and that they were working on it. Now, where do you think that they got that idea? Well, they got it from the midst of a Back to the Bible movement where people were saying, well, this is what I'm seeing in the New Testament. And if I'm just going to be what I see in the New Testament, then that's how our churches are going to be structured. Uh, when Paul is, uh, is, is in his uh, second missionary journey, and he's going about and he's strengthening the, these congregations of places that, that, that he's gone, he finds himself, he goes through these, through, through these congregations, he's established them, he's building them up. On his way home, he visits them again. And in Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, We read that when he had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
So you see, very early on, we have congregations that are being led by, this, by an eldership, by a plurality of men who are going to take spiritual oversight of, of, the, of that congregation. We say, how is that possible? Uh, we have congregations today that have existed for 50, maybe even 100 years that still don't have elderships. Well, uh, on the side note, I would say if that's the case, then you've got serious issues with spiritual maturity amongst your men. If you can go 50 years and you don't have two people qualified, you have some issues that, that, that ought to be addressed. More than likely in these congregations, many of their converts were very devout Jewish men uh, who would have understood Yahweh. They would have understood godliness. Uh, they simply didn't understand who Christ was or that Jesus was the Christ. And, and, and so it would have been a much easier transition for them. That's pure speculation. The text doesn't really tell us that, but that does make sense to me. And people ask that question, how were they able to do it so quickly? I think that's the right answer to that. But this is... Anyways, it's part of what Paul did to try and mature these congregations. Well, they come back in Acts chapter 15, and you remember the church is having some problems. They're having problems with Judaizing teachers. We've been talking about that in the book of Philippians and 1 Peter some. So when they come back to Antioch, they have these problems, and they decide what we're going to do is we're going to go to Jerusalem, and we're going to talk to the leaders at Jerusalem not to get a decree, not, not for them to, to write Scripture or set policy for us, but it's one congregation going to another congregation saying, hey, we're struggling with this. Could you help us? Could you give us one of those outside eyes on these things? And, of course, the Jerusalem congregation was filled with godly men. It would be a good choice, right? Maybe that's a good thing for congregations to do from time to time is to get some of those outside voices. Well, in Acts 15 and verse 4, the Bible says when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. So in the Jerusalem church, we, we not only have apostles in that place, that's a, that's a temporary thing that, that's going to last in the, in the first century. We also have elders there. Interestingly enough, whenever you start to read about, about how they would deal with the situation, that some of the apostles did speak up and give their thoughts about those things, but it was James the elder uh, who seemed to be the, the voice of reason in that situation, or at least the, the, the one who, who the, the, they went with what he said. Uh, it wasn't like, okay, we have apostles and elders, now you guys go sit in the corner. No, they were fulfilling these roles within the church, um, uh, trying to make application of these things. Well, all the way to Acts chapter 20, where we get into more of uh, more descriptum of the purpose of elders or what the New Testament says about the purpose of elders. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is going gonna, is gonna to meet uh, with the elders from the church at Ephesus. And you remember Paul had been at Ephesus for a long time. He had relationship with them. Uh, there are some places where I know some people there. I know some elders there. Or I know a preacher there. Paul, Paul knew them intimately. Paul had spent a great deal of time there. And when he was traveling back, he wanted to see them. Uh, when I was gone a couple weeks ago, I went out of my way to spend the night with someone who I hadn't seen in a long time uh, because I wanted to see them. I wanted to talk about some spiritual things. And same thing in Acts 20 and verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and he called for the elders of the church. Paul says, I want to, I want to meet with the elders of the church. The word there is presbyteros, right? It could just mean an older man, but here it seems to have an official, an official sort, sort of sense. People who have this office, the presbyteros, 
Um, so this is where we get our word elder from. Uh, it's also where, where some religious groups get, get the word presbyter from, right? So those are both biblical uh, terminology to think about the, the, that group of men who have spiritual oversight over the church. Uh, in this text, Acts 20 is, is a great text for understanding. What we're going to see we're going to see numerous terms applied to the same people. So, so you go on down, and he's, he talks about his relationship with them and what he's done for them. And then he tells them in Acts 20 and verse 28, Take heed to yourselves and, all, and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Episcopos. Uh, we, could, we could translate that as overseers. We could also translate that as a bishop. Right? He has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That verb form of poimen that, that, that we can translate as shepherd or we can translate as pastor. So understand here within this context, um, we have elders, presbyters, um, overseers, bishops, pastors, shepherds. That's all referring to the same people. It's not, it's not a great hierarchy. They're just different, different words that, that, that emphasize different, different ways in which, in which they lead and have oversight. And he says to them, he says to them, you need to be careful about what you do. Be sober, be vigilant as you heed the flock, because the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, I don't think that means that God goes around and he says, you're going to be an elder, you're going to be an elder, you're going to be... I don't think that's what he does. Um, quite honestly, I've met some elders that I don't think I'd want to blame God for uh, in, in my lifetime. And I say that with, a, with, with as much respect as I can. But it does mean something, right? And I think, I think it has to do with, with the fact that God, God has placed them in that role um, as God places all things. God places all things under his sovereign plan. Uh, we might also understand that the Spirit has given us qualifications for those elders. I think that's, that's what he's saying there, and he's trying to say, you're in this position on purpose. To do what? To shepherd the church of God. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The primary responsibility of elders is to look out for the souls of the church. If we get distracted from that, then we begin to have dysfunction in the church. The primary responsibility, the primary intent of elders is to shepherd and to look out for the souls of the church. For all the things that I think this needs to be done and that needs to be done, and that may all be true. But if we lose sight of what, that what we're talking about is souls, then we lose sight of God's original intent. It would be as if we went out and we bought something very expensive. Maybe you went out and you bought um, a brand new Mickey Mantle rookie card. I don't know how much it's worth, but it's worth a bunch. Okay? And, 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 and I took that card and I said, Gavin, I want you to take care of this. What would that mean? That means you're going to take care of it. You're not going to put it in your bicycle spokes and make a cool sound. I don't even know if you know what that means, but... We did that when I was a kid. I guess I am getting a little bit older. But you're going to take care of it. You're not going to leave it out. You're not going to neglect it. You're going to take care of it. If, it's, if, it's, if, if there's water, if there's rain, you're going to put it in some sort of protective covering. You are responsible for making sure nothing happens to this card. Right? That's what God says to these men. 
You are going to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. That's what an elder is. That's the responsibility. For I know this, he says, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Some people debate about what from among you means. Uh, are we talking about inside the church? Quite possibly. Uh, there's false, te- false teaching even within inside the church. Is he talking about from within inside the eldership itself? It very possibly he could be talking about that. You need to be aware of these things. We understand that when we, when we begin to see the roots of apostasy in, in the first century church, that that really all began by getting away from God's plan for a plurality of men to have spiritual oversight. And that power began to be unified. Where'd that start? Started in the elderships. Um, the, the idea of one-man rule over, over a single congregation, that didn't come from the Bible, came from man. But that idea of one-man rule went from one congregation, then it went into great areas, and then ultimately one-man rule over the entire church. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. But that started, that started amongst, amongst men. So he's telling them, you need to be careful. And also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So many times we understand that the role of elder or of shepherding or of protecting the flock means that you have to deal with false teachers within, within the body of Christ. When Titus gives his qualifications of an elder in Titus chapter 3, he says that they are to be apt to teach. I've heard a lot of people debate about what does it mean to be apt to teach. Well, when you read on in Titus, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 9, what, what you find is that it means you need to be able and willing to confront false teaching. Titus 1 and verse 9, he says they are to be holding fast the faithful word as has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you have to be a gifted orator. It means that you have to be able and willing to stand up for God's word against false teaching. That's one of the roles of shepherding the flock. It's what he tells them there in, there, there in the church at Ephesus. We have several passages in the New Testament that, that talk about some of these same things. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, when he writes, when he writes to Timothy, remember he's already written to him about some qualifications for these men. He says, let elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the labor is worthy of his wages. Well, can an elder also be a preacher? He says, he says that he can. An elder can be someone who receives even his living from the gospel. That's a very real possibility. What I want us to focus in on here is that part of that shepherding of the flock can involve the correcting of false teaching, but it might just, it might just be someone working in ministry with, with the church, preaching and teaching. Uh, it's the same sort of terminology he actually applies to preachers. Uh, Paul does in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, so, so, so we've, we've seen 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So, so we've seen that over and over. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17, I wish, really, I've told you we could do a whole series on all this stuff. We're, we're moving quickly. But, but he says in Hebrews 13 and verse 17, Obey those, he's talking to us, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls, 
as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So one of the roles, again, is that of watching out for your souls. It's almost like this morning when we were trying to to define uh, how does a godly mother operate. Well, that's a long conversation, isn't it? That can look like a lot of different things in a lot of different places. But the principle is the same. The principle is the same. And, he says, they're going to give an account. They're going to give an account. I think, I think it's, and I don't even understand everything about this, but I think it's one of the primary differences in an elder and a preacher, and we'll talk about this more in a couple weeks, but, but, there, but there is some special way in which elders are going to give an account that, that I'm not. Now, I'll give an account in my own way, right? But he seems to say there's some special way in which elders will give an account. There's some burden, there's some responsibility, and because of that, there's some authority that, that, that goes with that role. But his point is to us, so we ought to enable them in that. Like, I know that they're taking on this burden. What would it be like to not have the burden of the brethren? Some of you, some of you can come and go from the gathering of the church without much burden at all. Not feeling the weight of other souls upon you. Not feeling the weight of, of protecting the Lord's church every time that we come together. I can tell you that our elders never have that privilege. They never have that privilege. And it is a heavy, heavy load to bear. So he says, we ought to be, we ought to be submissive to them. Not at, he's not talking about them just making stuff up and wor- working on their whims. He's saying, we have to listen. Be, be submissive to them. Let them do so with joy. Because that's going to be good for us. First Peter chapter five verses one through three. Uh, we talked about this last week as we finished up First Peter, right? What he says to the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that that will, that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. Once again, this is not a power trip. It's not about, you're going to do what I say because of who I am. There's really no place, there's really no place for that in, in, in church leadership. Our authority, our authority begins and it ends with the Word of God. I think we have to understand that. It's not about you're going to do what I say because I'm the one that told you to do it. That's how Gentiles lead. That's what Jesus would say. That's not how God's people lead. And we need to understand that in that role. If you are thinking that one day you would like to be an elder because you would like to be the person in charge, you need to go back and think more about what it means to be an elder. Until you can say, I want to be an elder because I want to be the sacrifice. And when you can embrace that, then and only then will you be ready for that, for that position of godliness. I did have a couple questions uh, that, that, that were given. And, and I, if I could sum them up, they were basically, so what does it look like? What are the, the day-to-day responsibilities of an elder? 
Of course, we see this idea of shepherding the flock and confronting false teaching, sometimes doing teaching in general, sometimes handling finances and, and, and things of that matter, making sure that those things are on the up and up. But what does it look like on a, on a daily basis? What, what, what are the proper expectations of, of an eldership? There are expectations, aren't there? You guys, you have expectations of, of your elders? Don't we all? Don't we all? Ever, anybody, anybody ever had a roasted elder uh, for lunch on Sunday afternoon? Anybody? And then one of the elders' wives is shaking her head. That they, <laughs> right? It's like, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, and I mean, I'm not going to talk about fried preacher. Uh, we'll, we'll deal with that in a couple weeks. But I'm just saying that we have those expectations that sometimes they, they, they come about. Well, what's it supposed to look like? That's a hard question. Um somewhat because of the nature of the Bible. Because the Bible is not, is not a manual uh, in, in the sense of um, here's the title and here, here are the job responsibilities and here are the things, you know, here's, here's the spreadsheet that, that you need to make sure that, that, that you're making X amount of phone calls and making this many visits and confronting this many teachers. It, just, it does not set up that way. We just look and see what they did and then we try to take those principles and we try to apply them to the church today. So it's going to look different. The day-to-day life of an elder is going to look different uh, based on the size of a congregation. Um, uh, being an elder in a congregation of, of 350 is going to be a lot different than being an elder in a congregation of 60. It's going to be a lot different than being an elder in a congregation of 1,000. Isn't it? I mean, as the numbers change, th- 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 those, those difficulties uh, begin to change. It's going to have to do with the culture of the congregation. Can you imagine being one of the elders of the Corinth Church of Christ? Like in the Bible, the Corinth Church of Christ? I mean, those people had problems. I mean, I would much better rather be an elder of the Philippi Church of Christ. That'd be, that'd be, a, lot, that'd be a lot better gig, wouldn't it? Uh, but I'm telling you that I'm sure they had some pretty difficult elders meetings in the city of Corinth. Um, nature of the, of the place. Um, it's going to change based on the things that are happening in the sheep's lives. Uh, what's going on in your life? What's going on in my life? How many of us plan on having a spiritual, a spiritual dilemma or a spiritual trauma this week? Probably none of us plan on it, but probably some of us will. Well, those are those, op- those, are those situations where you would expect elders to have some role in that. Uh, I can speak a little bit about our eldership and some of the things that they strive to do. Um, it's always interesting to me how little people know about what our elders actually do. And so just kind of behind the curtain, right, uh, for, for, us, for us to think about that. Um, what do they do in, to try and tend to the flock? Well, I do know that they try to meet uh, with every new member uh, to understand that we care about you and that we want to be here for you. Um, I do know that um, they try to ensure that every member is visiting their home by at least one elder. Uh, that's something we actually started um, the elders started about before COVID hit. Uh, COVID derailed that, but I think we'll, we'll start to see that even some more uh, in, in, in the coming months. That, that's a great thing. Um, probably not reasonable for every elder to be in every, in every home. Um, by the way, we want to be careful as we think about elders that we don't say, well, this elder did this, but this elder didn't do that. Well, you can't be everything to every person in the congregation. Um, it's not possible. I can tell you as someone who is, who is a minister of one who tries to do that sometimes, it's not possible. Um, and so we've got to be careful that we don't hold people to a standard. Many times people who have full-time jobs on top of everything 
to a standard that people who make their living fully uh, can't, can't, can't fulfill. Um, our elders are very active in leadership of the congregation through difficult times, through difficult situations. Um, I can just tell you this last year, our eldership has, has led us through this COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm going to tell you, no matter what you think about the ways that we have gone, I can compare it to almost 95% of the congregations I know of in this country. We have been led remarkably uh, through difficult times. And the health of our congregation today is a testimony to that. But I'm telling you, that didn't happen easily. People, people are meeting individually. People are meeting as, as a group. Those who are struggling spiritually, emotionally, physically, people that are dealing uh, with marital issues, people that are dealing with emotional issues, people that are dealing with family issues, every sort of thing. Um, I can promise you uh, I have seen our elders shed tears with people on more opportunities than, than I can count. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And y- you may not know about those things uh, because you don't need to know about those things. But I can tell you that those things go on. And if you need that assistance, our elders want to be there for you. Um, our elders provide oversight of our finances. But for the most part, our elders hand, hand that stuff off. Uh, it's, it's actually a little bit shocking uh, how willing they are to follow the lead of the deacons and other people in the congregation. It's really pretty refreshing uh, that, that the focus is upon spiritual things instead of on physical things. Well, that's just a portion of the ways that, that our elders uh, work, striving to provide that spiritual leadership. C- can I say, it would be very unwise, uh, w- whether you are an elder or a deacon or a preacher, it would be very unwise to find yourself at the whim of every person in the congregation. You won't be able to do it. I had a lady tell me once, she said, well, I think that the preacher, and the, and the last preacher did this, I think that the preacher should be, should be at my house on Tuesday mornings, uh, every Tuesday morning to watch The Price is Right with me. She believed that with every fiber of her being. That that, that if I, and if I didn't do that, I didn't love her. She had to be disappointed in that. I mean, I, I just, not, not that I got anything against The Price is Right, and if she made pie, I might come every once in a while, right? But, but it would be unwise to be at the whim of every person in the congregation. People will try to use you, they will try to use your influence. Sometimes people will have unreasonable expectations. The flip side of that is it would also be unwise to ignore the expectations or the desires of those that you're shepherding. We need to be careful about that. Maybe there's some blind spots. Maybe there's some things that, that I don't know. Maybe there's some things that I need to know to have some openness in those things. So how do we find balance in there? I, I, I wrestled with that all throughout this week, and I came to, to one final verse. I know our time is just about up, but I came to one final verse. I think, I think it will help us um, as a congregation manage expectations. And we can make this application towards deacons and towards preachers too, but, but specifically he's going to talk about elders. James chapter 4, James chapter 4, and, I mean, James chapter 5 and verse 14. James says, Is anyone among you sick? Then let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. If you have a need for the eldership, 
And I think I can speak for, for our eldership on, on this regard. If you need them, if you need uh, their relationship, if you need their spiritual guidance, if you need them to hold your hand, if you, if you say, it would help me a lot if you would do this, let them know that. Call them. If, if, if you're sick and you want one of the elders to come and pray with you, call them on the phone. Let it be known. I promise you, there's not one of our elders, if you, if you were so bad off that you said, it would do me a world of good for all of our elders to be here, that they would be there. If there was a family issue and you're struggling in your marriage and you're saying, we need some help, I promise that they care. And we need to make sure that we communicate those things because that's God's design for the church. Sometimes those failings come just simply out of not knowing. So I need to communicate. Let me tell you what I need from you. They may look at you and say, that's not able. We're not able to do that or that's not reasonable. But I think in the vast majority of situations, the response that you would get is one of care and concern for your soul. Because that is the reality of why God placed elders in the church. To care and to shepherd our souls. That's really what this is all about, isn't it? This is all about me and you going to heaven. Even amongst our elders to shepherd themselves. We didn't even get down, go, go, go down that road, but I think that's important. That's pretty, pretty powerful to see. But this is about us getting to heaven. You remember last Sunday night when we were in 1 Peter, I told you that I asked several guys that, that, that question. I asked them, I asked them do, do you feel like there's someone who watches for your soul? And I was shocked at how many of them said no. I kind of felt sorry for them. I do feel sorry for them. Th- they need to do something about that. Now, I can tell you that there are people who care for your soul. Unequivocally. If, if you don't feel that way, then I would encourage you to do something about it. And maybe we can talk uh, afterwards about, about, how we can, about how we can better facilitate those things to embrace to embrace that leadership and that, and, and that shepherding hand in our life. Because this is about us getting to heaven. And the truth is, God, God didn't intend for me to go to heaven by myself. God intended for the body to go to heaven. Brothers and sisters in Christ, each fulfilling our role within the body. And when we do that, listen, I'm more likely to be saved in the end and you're more likely to be saved in the end, and our elders are more likely to be saved in the end. That's what this is all about. It's about us going to heaven. So if you're not right with God, if sin has crept into your life, then you need some spiritual help. You're in the right place. You're in the right place to hear the Word of God. You're in the right place to be be pointed in the Word of God. You just have to respond to it. Allow, allow God's church to be what God's church is, is designed to be, a place of refuge from a dark and a sinful world. You come to that place, repent of your sin, be baptized into the body of Christ. Bring your burdens before your brethren and before your God, and your burdens will be eased. You come tonight as we stand and as we sing.